Welcome to Kill Hello. Your Silos, the only show about operators that dares to ask the fundamental question at the heart of every operator's mind. That question, of course, Dana, is there must be a better way to manage all of this shit. Mm, um, yes. And I'm here to prove there is indeed <laughs> a better way, and it's called Revenue Operations. Yes. Each episode. Yeah, I, I con someone, one of the innovators of revenue to come on the show and share your thoughts. So today, it's you, Dana. You're the CMO of One Login. And can I call One Login a pioneer of the identity management software space? Is that oh, okay? yes, go ahead. Okay, that's I don't great. know what the, I love it. Right, okay, yeah, what the right messaging that's is. Uh, I've known you for many, many years. Dana, we used to work together, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, you were the author of Lead Generation for Dummies. You were named one of the 25 women in revenue. Mm -hmm. That's uh, There's only 25 of them, so that's pretty prestigious. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I call you a peer and a friend. Welcome, Dana, to the show. My first question is, how are you holding up during this crazy time and how are your dogs? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm holding up uh, as, as well. Uh, pretty good. Doing pretty good, actually. I think um, it's work is good. Keeping me busy. Netflix and Amazon, they keep like busting out the shows. You know, there's never a dull moment. Um, getting a little stir crazy, want to go back into the office, but, and the dogs are doing great. It was a little bit of a, you know, it was a rough go of it in the beginning when uh, yeah. the daycare, the dog daycare had closed down. Okay. So then they had to be like home with us and um, they were very bored. I would yeah. say. Did and they then, destroy more stuff than normal or did they just seem lethargic and sad? No, they were just very uh, barky and like annoying, you know, you're trying to work. Uh, yeah. And so, but luckily they are back in daycare. Uh, these are some, you know, crazy probs. Yeah. So no, I will, I will tell you that I have a child too. Like, I mean, I have a human <laughs> child, not uh -huh. at all as important as having a dog child, but I have a human child and her being around all of the time before she went back to daycare was very annoying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was very annoying, very challenging. Uh, and I'm so glad that she's back in the care of uh, professionals who know how to teach her things. Mm -hmm. I realized that I have no idea how to teach children anything. And I should just be uh, someone that's there to support their artistic endeavors because I don't know anything about how the world works, apparently. I don't know. I remember you being a good teacher back <laughs> in the day. Yeah, that's with adults. They already know some stuff. Uh, okay. So as CMO, uh, I think you bring a unique perspective that we often don't have on the podcast, which is about how RevOps actually accomplishes your revenue goals as a CMO in an organization. So how has RevOps helped, uh, helped your organization and helped you specifically as CMO? Yeah, uh, so revenue ops is a super important part of uh, one login in general and also how I get my job done. We're a very like metrics um, driven organization at one login. And so I rely heavily on our operations team to ensure that like we have all of our tools in place, um, that all of the data makes sense. We've got our funnels and the right conversion rates. Um, and so they help from, you know, from a planning perspective, not just like strategically thinking through how we're going to make our numbers, um, but also from like a day to day kind of campaign management um, perspective. And then, you know, obviously, I think it helps really bring the sales and marketing functions together so that we're all on one team. We're all looking at the same data. There's one source of truth. Yeah. So, you know, full disclosure, we've worked with one login and we work with you and a number of organizations that you've been part of. Um, but this is kind of the first one where the sales and marketing team has been colla like collapsed into one unit, correct? So for, uh, for the opera, uh, 
Yes, perhaps since we've worked together. So our uh, revenue operations team, that is a separate team on um, our, our, that falls underneath our COO, but uh, sales and marketing are, they are separate, although SDRs report into me. So kind of separate, but not. Correct. And so when, when I, so the definition I use is you have your go-to-market team, which is mm -hmm. sales, marketing, customer success, especially if the customer success team is more not technical support, but upsell, cross-sell support. Um, and that's your go-to-market team. And then you have your rev ops team who's supporting that, uh, who roll up to a COO or CRO in some mechanism. And that makes the revenue team. How far away yes. are you from that paradigm? And is that the road that you think you're going to go? Or is that uh, something that, that you don't really have an opinion about? Or how important is org structure to make yeah. all of this work so uh, how you described it is pretty similar it's pretty much exactly our paradigm right so um we have me the cmo i've got the marketing team i've got the sales development team which that is a more recent uh move and then we have our sales team reporting up into uh cro and then we have our revenue ops function um reporting into our coo and our customer success team reports into our COO also. So the revenue operations function uh, really operates as a separate kind of neutral organization. Um, when I joined OneLogin, marketing ops was still under marketing. Um, and then, you know, from a leadership perspective, we decided to make that change. And I'm very comfortable with that, have worked, you know, with organizations that have a centralized function. So I think you know, there's a lot of benefits to it. One of the biggest benefits being, you know, if, if you have marketing ops and sales ops reporting different places, reporting into like those business stakeholders, um, sometimes, you know, you don't quite get as much of like a neutral point of view of the organization and the data. Mm -hmm. um, and so we like to have that as kind of the separate function that like informs all of us versus, you know, under the different leaders so that, you know, maybe there's different agendas. Yeah, absolutely. We see that a lot. And we'll talk about silo syndrome in a, in a little bit later on in the interview. But we definitely see that there is a, a lack of control when those organizations are no under their under you know sales or marketing or whatever but the overall fundamental lift to the organization is much much more significant to the organization and you can move the right things forward more importantly one thing i wanted to ask about being a cmo in a revops organization mm -hmm. how does getting the work that your team needs done get prioritized and put out there and how do you take if you're hearing from the revops team okay, yeah, that's important, but that's not what we're going to do mm -hmm. now. How do you manage that, that relationship? Yeah, so there's a few different things that we do. I mean, for one is uh, across the GTM leaders, really, which is, um, you know, myself, our CRO, our sales leadership, and our COO. Um, first, it's really important that you have, you know, really strong relationships with those folks so that you're able to have the tough conversations and like kind of take a step back to prioritize what makes sense for the business versus what makes sense for an individual function. Um, we also have this uh, kind of combined go-to-market council that we do each week, which is something we started, um, gosh, maybe like a quarter ago, um, where we have all this data that we look at across the sales organization and the marketing organization um, that really tells us how our business is performing. And honestly, a lot of the decisions on what 
RevOps works on is often decided upon in those meetings um, so that it's got like all of the business stakeholders that are involved and we're all kind of on the same page. Um, I would say the other important element is that you like set up your like dotted line structure in the right way and that your RevOps team is supportive of that. So like, even though my marketing ops person doesn't report into me anymore, like we still have a very strong dotted line relationship. Um, and our head of revenue ops understands that. And so does our COO. Um, and so we're able to have sometimes those tough conversations. Yeah, you guys um, are more around- partners. Like it's, it's a dotted line partnership of not where you maybe are viewed as their customer, but more as their, yeah, I mean, it's truly what you are, which is the business owner trying to deliver this experience to the customer that they're trying to also deliver that same experience to at scale, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that makes total sense. Um, yeah. And we own, we own a lot of the budget too. So yeah. we, we split, you know, the budget is split for most of the RevOps functions um, between marketing and sales. So that also, you know, there's lots of skin in the game. Yeah. I'm, I'm very interested in this council. Can you walk through what the like structure of it is? Is it a shared agenda building action meeting style? Does everyone get around and go updates? Is the yeah. RevOps team in that meeting hearing all that and are being re- representing themselves or are they not? How's that work for you guys? Yeah. So it's kind of evolved um, since it started. So originally it started, um, our CEO started it and it was basically like, we need a meeting where all of the go-to-market leaders can agree on like the common data sets that uh, we're looking at to assess the health of the business in that we also have a forum to like have some of those difficult conversations um, with, with one another. Uh, so as far as like the agenda, I think, you know, probably originally, probably that deck was like 200 slides, right? Because it's like, well, what do we put in it? Like, let's just dump everything in there. Um, and then eventually over time it, you know, we started weeding stuff out, um, to decide like what the most important information was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also depends like what time in the quarter, right? So if it's earlier in the quarter, um, our rev, our GTM council meetings, I would say focuses a lot more on like pipeline building and pipeline coverage. Um, and then towards the middle and end of the quarter, there's a lot more focus on, you know, op acceleration or AE quota attainment, um, stuff like that. RevOps is the one that uh, they create the deck. So there's different parts of the deck that different people on that team are responsible for. Um, and then the revenue operations leader comes to the meeting and you know, is there to represent the data and to explain the data if there's any sort of data consist- inconsistencies or anything, um, because they're generally pulling the data for all of the leaders, right? And there's a different level of um, data proficiency uh, across the team. So RevOps is primarily responsible for making sure that the reports are understood um, across the executive team and that we're able to have those, you know, sometimes difficult conversations. Yeah. It seems like, uh, so we say there's four capabilities, tons of skills of revenue operations, but four true capabilities, which is strategy capability, tools, capability, enablement, and insights. It sounds like, uh, one and login and your executive team sort of rely heavily on the insight portion of the capabilities of revenue operations to build a data story, be able to, uh, kind of say like why we should be prioritizing what and, and sort of bring that to the table as a suggestion and then also get mutual buy-in across you know the business units. One thing I wanted to understand is 
so we know now where your RevOps team is. How do you think that they're critical to the future success of the organization? Where do you see their function evolving? Um, and where do you see, you know, more sort of maturity starting to take place? Yeah, I mean, I think they're, the team is going to grow naturally as the business grows. I mean, it has to, honestly, like our reliance on like on them, we, we ask them for a lot of stuff. They're pulling a lot of data. They're crunching a lot of numbers or making a lot of spreadsheets that like doesn't totally scale. Um, I think, you know, where we need to kind of figure things out as the org grows is sometimes we'll have a bit of an imbalance around strategy versus execution. Um, and sometimes, you know, we'll be more over-rotated on that execution in one area for whatever reason. And then it kind of, you know, sways back to, uh, to strategy. And so it would be, what I would like to see is uh, as the company grows is that we have, you know, kind of some equal ground across those different areas where we do have enough people that are executing. And then we have people that can just focus on the numbers and the strategy, right? Because I think that's mm -hmm. another issue when you've got people that are in there in the systems, like doing the Salesforce stuff on a day to day, but then you have to pull them out to think about the strategy, but then they got to go back into Salesforce and it just yeah, doesn't all those in flight. Well. Um, they're all in, in service of one another, but they're very different mindsets sometimes. Right. And how many employees is one on login now or around? Because what you're, what you're describing is a natural, uh, you and I have talked about this, but just for the sake of the podcast, I believe in generalism in the RevOps field. I believe that you should try to strive as an operator to have an equal mix of strategy tools, enablement and insight capabilities for yourself and mm -hmm. skills. There is a point when an organization reaches an inflection point where you have to decide what E you're going to become or what T you're going to become, meaning that you maybe have a, a broad foundational layer, but you're going to go deeper in the tools or you're going to go deeper in strategy. And it's more important at that point that the revenue operations team holistically is balanced, not mm -hmm. at an individual level. And that usually happens when organizations reach a certain tipping point or or the, their, their product sale is really complex, right? So where are you guys now as far as employee count and, and what do you think is really driving that need for, what I'll use is, um, the term I like to use is dynamic range, people that can go a little further mm -hmm. in one particular area. Yeah, so we're about um, 300 employee size. So still, uh, you know, not huge, uh, but not super, super small. Um, I think what is, uh, you know, what's going to drive the growth of the revenue ops team and what's a little bit more unique about one login than perhaps in other places I've worked at this size is like we do have a, a level of like systems and data sophistication that we rely on today to make business decisions. And, you know, we're just going to that that need is going to continue to, to grow as you know, as the business grows and as things get more complex um, uh, across the board. But like the you know, sometimes it's like the amount I always say with like new people that come on board, it's like, man, we have a ton of data. It's like maybe in different places and you've got to pull the insights out, but like we, it is there, we do have it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just like getting to some of the, you know, more advanced areas. Yeah. Yeah. And making that data work for you. I think that's also a problem that there was like this, you know, you and I were in the space 
you know, five, seven years ago, which was like, data is king. You must collect everything. And everyone built these giant BI mm-hmm. warehouses or, you know, just different things like that. And then we just start storing everything. And then nobody said like, okay, what do you want to do with it? Well, let's just get, you know, a tool that overlays. And it's like, okay, now you have an overlay of all of this data. What do you want to do with it? And it's like, well, I don't know. Let's uh, redefine. And now people are going back and like creating master accounts again. It's like, we're moving back to the fundamental question of what do we want to do and, and say and have insights with this data? So I think that's a a issue that a lot of organizations are running into. Um, GoNimbly is a similar thing. We collected all of our data about all of our projects operationally across, you know, inflection point, what the, where, what the business was doing. We have all the plans, like in a way that most consulting firms don't have. Um, but then it's like, what do we do with that? You know, it's like, yeah, we can say we are the largest repository of operational data for SaaS companies. And that's true. Right. But what do you do with that once right, you have right. it? So I think it's really interesting to see this RevOps function sort of start to play a role and sifting and making recommendations based on that data set. So that's really awesome. Yeah, I think the other interesting thing on that note is, um, you know, I try to, as much as I can, have the RevOps team work with my team to like enable them to not just like pull the data, but like understand the insights and the data. And like, I work with uh, my team a lot on like, okay, let's like, if we're trying to identify a problem, it's like, okay, that's, you can, we can pull all this data and put it on to a bunch of PowerPoint slides, but like, what does it mean? And what is it telling us? And how is it like, it's, it's like you're, you need to forensically go through this stuff, especially if there's like a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I push my, my team personally to uh, improve on, because I think that, you know, that's just like where we're headed as uh um, you know, more mature, sophisticated SaaS business is that we need to like put, connect those dots. Yeah. To keep the theme of maturity going, I wanted to play a game with you. How do you oh, feel gosh. about that? Okay. So the okay. game, the game is called kiss, Mary kill, um, where I am going to give you a topic and three items like, uh, peanuts, jelly, bread. And you have to say, Oh, I want to kiss bread. I want to marry peanuts and I'll kill jelly, right? So you understand the game? I feel like it's not I got it. I think, yeah, 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 yeah. I think okay. I- Kiss, okay. Mary, kill. I'll walk you through it, but we're going to start. All right. Okay. All right. I'm okay. spinning my will. The category is work from home. Hmm. Okay. So here it goes. Kiss, Mary, kill. Phone call, Slack chat, Zoom. Hmm. Okay. Phone call, I will kill. Ooh, okay. So you're going full uh, on digital revolution here. No, no, because I'm also going to kill Slack. You can't kill Slack. You have to marry. You have to marry. Oh, oh okay. Kiss. Wait, just kidding. Just kidding then. Just kidding then. Okay. I'm going to kill Slack. Okay. Oof. That's okay. Oof. I'll tell yeah. you. Okay. Uh, I'll kiss the phone call and marry the Zoom. Nice. Okay. So in person, marry. Zoom is as close as in person as we can get. Uh, and then you'll kiss phone call because that's still some level of intimacy. Like I'm just breaking through your question. And then Slack you will kill because it is what, what, why Slack gets the kill? So I find not that I, I find Slack to be quite noisy. And so I'm getting pinged all day on like all different channels, all different people. And what I always tell in my team is very Slack oriented, but if it doesn't go to my email, like if it, if it doesn't exist in my email, it doesn't exist. And so that's what I always tell people. I'm like, no, don't, don't give me an action item in Slack. Like you have to email it to me. You have to email it to me, like send me an email, send me an email. Yeah. I don't want to just be like slacking all day. I don't, I don't mind slacking when I want to hang out and have a conversation asynchronously with people, but I do hate decision-making on Slack is a, yes. a annoyance of I, every executive I talk to. And it's like something that we just kind of get suckered into 
because it's where it's happening and you kind of have to show up sometimes. All right, next question. Hit the wheel. RevOps. Okay, are you ready? Okay. Paper doc, some kind of digital doc, okay? A Loom video or some kind of video explanation or a meeting. Oh, okay. All right. For enablement and alignment is the question. So which of those things do you think is best for enablement and alignment? A paper doc, a document, a educational video that you send over or a meeting? Is this what I prefer or what I think is best for I, other people? It's your question. I don't know. I just right, well, spin the wheel. I'm not, I'm not God here. I'm just, if I were, if you were to ask me what I think is like best for a team environment, uh, I would marry the in-person. Okay. I would kill the video, kiss the documents. Nice. I didn't expect that. So you, you don't like these like four minute walkthrough videos that just get sent out. You think it's just uh, kicking the enablement down the road and saying, like, check I, in a box or what, what's your feeling on it? Um, I don't know. There's something I don't, and maybe it's just my own thing. Like, as if I were to say what my preference is, I would say marry the document, kiss the meeting, kill the video because right. I like reading documents. Okay. So, so I have a theory about this one. So I have a theory that it's either in a meeting, you can do exercises and get a lot of context because people can talk freely or in a paper document is, um, all uh, in it, like uh, self-paced. It's all about yes, you and yes, how you interact yes. with it. And a, and a video is, it demands attention, but doesn't ask anything of you. So it's actually kind of difficult to Yes, from. and you don't, you can't like skim a video. I would right. say the closest thing is like, so I'll listen to Gong Calls. I listen to Gong Calls all the time. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, they have some transcripts and it's a little funky, but I will like t uh, 2X the speed. Yeah. So at least I have some control over it. It's like I'm speed reading it, but I'm like speed listening. We use a different platform, but I do that too. And I start to think that people's voices are at two speed. <laughs> it is weird when I'm in a meeting in them and I'm like, why is Troy talking so slow right now? <laughs> uh, so, so that's a, that's a byproduct of that. Okay. Last one, we're hitting it and we land on the category of SaaS, mm, right? SaaS okay. marketing. So this is about effectiveness of marketing podcast, webinar, events. So, uh, Mary in-person events. I'm okay. a big events person. I'm sure you know that. Yep. Uh, and then I would say I'm a webinar. I'm going to kiss the webinar because it's like down with that. And then maybe kill the podcast. I know I'm on a podcast right now, but like yes. I said to you originally that like, I haven't delved into like the world of producing podcasts yet. Yeah. Is it something you're going to try? I mean, I, I know, know. just kill it. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. It seems like hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's great. Uh, yeah. Speaking of hard, we're on to our next RevOps question. Are you ready for this one, Dana? Okay, wait, is this Kiss, Mary Kill? Or? Nope, this is just a run. We're back to the old fashioned script. Oh, we're it's on a Q&A, Q&A. Q&A time, it. okay. Okay. The most common symptoms of silo syndrome are information hoarding, lack of collaboration, internal use of misalignment language, competitiveness between go-to-market functions and team-based identity. These are not things we made up. This is true silo syndrome. If you look it up, these are the causations of it and how they actually show up. Which have you seen most in your organization or in organizations you've worked in? I'm going to say uh, the competitiveness uh, between different go-to-market teams. Um, that's something that I've experienced like in most organizations that I've worked in of like, you know, it gets down to either like, if we're not hitting the number, like, is it marketing's fault or is it sales fault? And let's like point the finger and let's be like marketing's lead suck or sales doesn't know what to sell or whatever it is. Um, I think that that is probably one of the more 
uh, consistent issues that I see, and also probably one of the most, uh, the more like detrimental. Do you, yeah, issues. I was just gonna ask, do you think that's toxic or natural? Do you yes. think it's, it is, so you think it's toxic? Um, I think it can get, I think if you can, I think it's natural, uh, but I also think it can get really toxic, especially if like the problem persists and persists. Like you'll find that, you know, you've got like a whole sales team or a whole marketing team that like maybe has a bad experience and it's like festering, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, even if a new leader comes into the other team, like it's really hard to, to move past that. So, and it's like a negative, it just makes people feel bad. It's just not good. Yeah. Um, what are some ways to actually fight against that competitiveness that you've found successful? Well, um, at the end of the day, uh, I think it's really important that the leadership team, you know, stands behind the fact that like, we're all on the same team and we all have the same goal, right? Which is like closed business. Uh, and that's, and that is regardless of where it comes from, whether it's sales source, marketing source, whatever, like our, our goal is to close business. So I think moving away from, I mean, we track, of course, sales sourced, marketing source, we track all of that. Um, but what I have, what I like to do and what I've done since I went to one login is kind of like move away from uh, looking at those things separately. And like, when we go to the GTM council meetings, like I'm looking at the full funnel, like I'm not looking at just marketing source or sales source, I'm looking at everything. So that it's like, everyone's on the same page, we have the same goals, like, we can talk about sales sourced and marketing source, but at the end of the day, it's like more uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's more effective to look at it holistically. Yeah. Which goes into the last question of, of this set of questions, which is at go nimbly, we are kind of preaching this customer gap first thinking uh, for operations teams, rev ops. It's our maturity model that we've uh, designed, which you go intuition based. That's kind of your small startup where it's like someone walks into a room and says, Hey, something's broken. Someone knows how to fix it. That kind of is intuition based. Then you go to experience based, you hire experience executives who bring with them a world of experience from other organizations. They say, we need to be like this. And then finally, not very many organizations get this way, but I think RevOps can help through the data and strategy piece that you've already recommended to get to a place where you're looking at your funnels and going, oh, there's a pattern here that our customers are experiencing. So if we go customer first, we can kind of align our experience and intuition against those initiatives. Um, so we call that, you know, customer fo focused operations where you're doing durability testing and finding those patterns in your different uh, pipelines. How do you find gaps today at one login in operations or in the way that you would recommend prioritizing things? Yeah. So one of the, the key things, I mean, I would like to think I'm in the third set of uh, maturity level of like looking at the data to, to identify the issues. Um, but that's basically, you know, what, what we're doing. So we're looking at, and you can look at the funnel and conversion rates and source from all different angles, but like, you know, it'll help you identify what problems in your funnel, like where in the buyer journey things are, are going wrong, right? So, and we've, in, at one long in, we've spent time looking at, you know, all of these different intricacies based on some of this stuff we see in the data that helps like, you know, okay, well, our, uh, you know, our MQLs aren't converting to meetings or the sales team yeah. isn't accepting them. So like what's going on in there and is it, scoring is it our audience what is it and you know or we're not having uh, enough meetings convert to stage two opportunities in this particular segment what's going on is it the meeting is it the is it the sales pitch we got to listen to the gong calls so it'll you know i think that there's a lot of um 
elements of data within each of those things. But by looking at uh, the funnel and your conversion rates, that'll help you at least like identify kind of the area in which you should be looking at. One thing I wanted, this is kind of off script, but you just mentioned it. And it's kind of where I'm trying to coach RevOps teams to meet the business. So most businesses, you know, uh, sales teams have some kind of uh, operational, like they have a sales stage journey for their customer that they take their person through. Most of the time in our buying journey, the sales process is one drop. And then we drill into that and we can see all the stages, right? Um and then you have your buying journey, which is a common term. I've started trying to use this term and I just want to know how you feel about this and how it sits with you, that it's a RevOps duties person's job to bring the actual customer buying experience to the table and go, we're actually seeing the engagement and actions that buyers are doing while they're in your buying journey. And you need to look at the deltas between those two things because how we want the buying journey to go and how sometimes the customer does buy are vastly different. And we find that usually the gap when we see a pattern emerge is that we think the buying journey goes like this. And in reality, the customer experience journey goes like this. And there's a Delta for whatever reason, maybe we went up market as an organization, maybe, uh, you know, we have our sales reps who used to not be great are really great in the first beginning call. And so by the time everyone moves past the disqualification phase, cause they're interested, but then ultimately they, they fail out when they see pricing, you know, there's all these kinds of things and nuances that actually occur in a business. How, how much do you think of, or if I told you there's a difference between the actual customer experience and your preferred buying journey, do you believe those are two separate things? And do you think they should be examined as a comparison to find, to help find these gaps? So I guess I would say it's so like buying journey. If I were to just, I'm just going to re, re say what I think. So it's like buying journey is like what, oops, what my perception is of how customers go through our funnel, right? Which is probably like informed by your experience and informed by the data, probably at one point in time. Right. Right. And yeah. then they're, and then the customer experience being like the actual experience. Correct. I do think that they are separate things. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think that they can, like you can, get them to one thing. Um, if you're, you know, it was a lot of work and I would love to think that we are like moving in that direction. It's super challenging though. Yeah. Because, because then you're moving out of segmentation. You're moving to personalization of each person and each person can actually do unique buying steps in any order kind of, and still meet the segment requirements, right. In a buying journey experience. Yeah. And like, I think, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck in like an, an echo chamber of like what you think when you're in within your own organization. Right. So like one of the things that we're doing right now, and I'm super interested, we'll see how it comes out, um, is we hired an external research uh, agency to do like a formal ICP um, ideal customer profile uh, research process and model with us, which is like an eight week kind of engagement where we provide them with, you know, of course, all of our internal data, they do interviews internally with our people, but they also go external and they interview like customers of our competitors. They interview ex sellers of our company and our competitors. And so like, they're spending a lot of time, like in the external world that we might be blind to, to like put kind of those two things together um, and to show us where some of those blind spots might be. So I think that'll help us like get to that point. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's that's, challenging. That's really awesome because I feel like that kind, there's always been resistance up until like kind of COVID in the last few years against the core concept of 
what you might not know what you don't know, right? Just because someone's buying something from you doesn't mean that that was the most optimal experience and you've got the most money that you could get or the biggest commitment you could get from that person. And actually we should be looking at our buyers so much more and drilling into where did they lose trust in us in the process? Because those are the ones that chose to buy. Yet in most organizations, we focus on everyone that doesn't choose to buy from us. And, and I think that's a huge misunderstanding and gap and sort of the way that growth has been prioritized in the SaaS space for so long. And now it's kind of like, whoa, if we focus on this customer, we can get much bigger commitments and get much higher ACV out of these customers. So maybe we should start to explore that. So that, that's, that's my yeah. take on it and where I think revenue, op, revenue operations can really come and say, we're providing a service that no one else is really providing in, you know, in our departmental functions. Yeah. Yeah, another thing our RevOps team does, which I have found super useful, which is along those lines, we started doing um, working with an external agency on like when formalized win loss reporting, where like they interview the customer afterwards to like ask them these questions, and then you can contrast that with the data that like our AEs put in, and you know we only have access to like what our AEs are telling us through Salesforce or anecdotal. But then when we hear the actual customer stories from the third-party agency, it's like, wow, like there's a whole other element that we're not catching. Um, and so our RevOps, our RevOps team runs that process and it is very useful. Awesome. I hear your husband in the background. His voice is very loud. We talked about this in the game, but I, I felt know, like I'm I should. Sorry. It's okay. Tell him he's uh, also a guest and I will not bother asking him to be on a future episode because he's already in this one. <laughs> There you go. True. <laughs> uh, no, I'm so interested to hear. Uh, Gabe, your husband is also uh, an amazing operator at many SaaS companies. So I'm looking forward to talking to him in the future. Um, one thing I wanted to end this, which is, this is a segment I call the last word. So I'm this is a personal segment that's about um, you. And in this case, me, because we've known each other for a long time. So the last word in this episode is this question here. Oh gosh. Okay. If you look back 10 years ago and said, this is where either of us would be, would you have agreed and thought this is where we would be? And how much of your career did you design and set up or how much of it has been opportunistic? Hmm. Okay. I would say, are, so am I answering for myself or like for you? You're answering for me too. You're answering for both oh, okay. of us. So I uh, never thought I would be here. So there's that. Uh, I could imagine you doing this. However, oh, yay. though, I always, yeah, that's awesome. that's nice I always thought that you were going to kind of like go off and do your own thing. And, you know, you always were independent thinker. And so this totally falls in line with how I would imagine. Uh, but yeah, not for myself. And I wouldn't say that my career necessarily has been like opportunistic. I've worked like I've, I'm very driven to like get where I am. Um, but it was not something that was planned, if that makes sense. So let me ask you, how do you, do, how do you make a decision then, since it's not something you planned and it's not hyper opportunistic for people listening, how do you make the determination between a good opportunity that moves you in a direction you want to go that maybe isn't planned, but feels right versus something that seems shiny and exciting, which I think a lot of people who are pursuing a career in SaaS have to, at one point go, do I want to pursue this shiny thing or do I want to go towards this kind of other drive inside of me? How, how do you reconcile that? And what does your decision-making look like? Yeah, I think, you know, let me, let me clarify a little bit of like, I don't just, you know, I'm not just like going through life, like, Oh, whatever happens, happens. I would <laughs> I say when we that. knew each other, <laughs> when we worked with each other, uh, was like, whenever that was a long time ago, 10 years 11 ago, years ago. 11, 11 years, years ago, 11 years ago. 
I had no idea at that point in time what I wanted to do. And I think it took me probably uh, maybe three years post or four years post that uh, to even kind of decide that I wanted to like be a CMO or I wanted to be a marketing executive. So uh, while when we worked together, that certainly wasn't in my plans, like later on it, it was. And, you know, I think that uh, I, I like to take chances and I like to take risks um, around like different opportunities and, but you have to be thoughtful on what makes sense for your career and think through all the vectors of the role and the company and the executives that you're working with. And I've made a, like, I've made mistakes of mm -hmm. course, of like shiny object syndrome or like, I'm going to go here and it sounds great, but I'm like not taking everything into consideration. Um, when I went to one login, it took me a very long time to like decide that this is where I wanted to be. So I made sure I was like very thoughtful. And um, hindsight, those step. decisions, which I don't think you're, I think you're kind of like me, which you don't regret decisions that didn't turn out the way you expected. I think that's a healthy mindset to have if you're going to pursue a career aggressively. But when you look back at those decisions that didn't turn out the way that you expected, did you not, was there something in you that told you not to take those that you didn't listen to? Or were sometimes you completely blindsided? I'm just always interested in, is hindsight 2020, or did you ignore your intuition in order to pursue that shiny thing? Um, I probably ignored, there's only been one situation that was like, I thought was gonna be a killer and it ended up not. And that was uh, just external issues around just like the company and the product and the market and you know other things but as far as like other situations that like haven't necessarily gone as planned some a lot of it has been things that i ignored um but for me it's like look i'm i'm still earlier in my career than a lot of cmos and i, I you know i kind of started a little bit late and you know, from an experience perspective, like I didn't come into one login having like decades of enterprise mm -hmm. marketing experience. So sometimes, you know, you have to kind of take some of those chances uh, to get into the, you know, to get the experience that you need to get. So even though some of those things in hindsight, other roles, I probably should have known, they also helped me get to my next level somehow. Well, 10 years ago, if you asked me, where's Dana going to be in 10 years, I would say CMO of one login. That's what I would have said. I, I, I don't I, know I what have, you would have said. I would have predicted. No, I would have. Uh, not that, not CMO of one login. But one thing, again, I've always appreciated your brutal honesty and your ability to be transparent and stand by your decision making, uh, right? Or uh, in hindsight saying like, oh, I made something incorrect. And I think that's what I would give advice to this question, which is, your career doesn't need to be designed. I think sometimes if you plan too far ahead, you'll you know only see the tree right in front of you and not really be you know zooming out far enough. But I do think it's about being ethically true to your own values consistently um, and knowing and not being afraid to take the risks when you feel like they're consistent to your ethical values and also not being afraid to get out of a situation if it's no longer meeting your needs um, yeah. and, and moving forward. Cause that's not good for the business or yourself in reality. No, it's totally not. I've been there and oh, no, so good. Well, thank you for your time, Dana. I had a great time talking to you. Let's not wait another X amount of time. Before I know. We spoke. Thank you so much.